What an awesome, awesome privilege it is to stand in front of you all today. Um, it is uh, incredible. It is incredible to see God work. It's incredible to see God change lives. I am not in this business because I think I'm a good speaker. I'm not in this business because I like having uh, fun on Sunday mornings for just an hour. I followed God into this calling because God moved uh, over me years ago and said that He can change anybody's life. He can bring anybody to a place of salvation, to a place um, where our lives matter for something so important, so significant, an eternal calls to the kingdom of God. He brought us all to this place this morning because you all matter to Him. You all have a place in His kingdom. You all have a place in His family. We all have a place in the kingdom of God. And that, that is what makes my heart beat. That's why um, I, uh, I get up and do what I do every day, but especially on days like this. Uh, if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to open a copy of God's Word. If you don't have a, a, a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you, um, or open up on your phone, um, an app, or whatever you want to read on. John 14 um, is our text. We're going to read that in just a little bit. Um, but I just want to say, because uh, I, I, can't, I can't say enough, this is what Christianity is all about. Um, whether you're a skeptic or a bystander or a passionate disciple, um, days like this can define and redefine what Christianity means, what it means to you personally, what it means to the whole world. Um, and, and also, and, and here's something I really want to uh, touch on, days like today, um, moments like we've been able to see today and in, 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 in the lives that have been changed because of God, um, days like today have the potential to save Christianity for you. Now, let me be very clear. There's nothing wrong with Christianity, but there's plenty wrong with many of our versions of it and many of our assumptions about it. There's nothing wrong with Christianity. It is a perfect invitation to know who God is. But we on our side, in our man-made uh, attempts to um, make things like we want them to be, uh, there are some things wrong with our versions and our assumptions about it. And I think for a lot of people, too many people actually, whether inside or outside of the faith, the church and Christianity has just become this religious club, this religious organization um, and, and if you're on the outside and you think, you know, that's, that's really what Christianity is, then, you know, hey, I, I'll agree with you. That's what it is from the inside to a lot of people. And if you're on the inside and you think that that's okay, that it needs to be just some sort of religious ritual, um, listen, that explains how it got here. That explains how we got here as a whole. Everybody files in once a week. We're dressed the same. We think alike. We believe alike. We sing the same songs. We talk about the same few things. I mean, for many people, Christianity is this lifeless routine, just another religion. And, and for many people, maybe you've thought this before, for many people, Christianity is just about what we believe, what we're against, and what happens when we die. I mean, for a lot of people, that's what they think when they think about Christianity or church, that, oh, they just think about, you know, what they just are all about what happens when you die. They have a bunch of stuff they're against, and they have a few things they confess. But that's really all it is. But I want to say with confidence, and I want to say with, with, with some good news to you, it's way more than that. It's way better than that. I'm not saying that we don't have beliefs. We do. And I'm not saying that we don't believe in right and wrong. We do. And, and, and I'm not saying that a large portion of our focus isn't on eternity. It is. All those things are core to our faith, to my faith, to the faith. But what I'm saying is that Christianity is more than that. Christianity isn't some religion that's all about its system and its rituals. It's not confined to a day or a place or a style or a version. Christianity, more than anything else, is a relationship with God. 
when you think about your closest relationships, and now all of you have close relationships. Hopefully you're here with somebody that you're in a close relationship with. When you think about your closest relationships between your spouse, your kids, your parents, your best friends, I hope you don't instantly think of the clothes that you wear. I hope that you don't instantly think about the things that you do a few hours of the week on a certain day or a certain place. I hope when you think about your closest relationships, you don't think about the things that you only agree on, and you don't only think about the things that you're against. I hope that when you, uh, when you think about your closest relationships, you don't think about just the things that you're going to benefit from the, one another or what happens when one of you dies. I hope you don't think about those things. I hope that when you think about your closest relationships, you think about the person. You think about how much you love the person and how you are warmed by them and how when they love you and when you feel their love and you're surrounded by their love, it changes you. I hope that when you think about the person that you're in a relationship with, you think about how blessed you are to know them and how blessed you are to get to spend your life with them. It's more than about what you believe and what you're against and what happens when one of the two of you leaves, isn't it? It's about the love that you have for the other person. It's about the blessing it is to know the other person. I hope that when you think about the day or the hour or the occasion, that wherever you are, whatever you are doing, you'd rather be with nobody else but them. Because truly the relationship as a whole is more than just the sum of its parts. Because it's not about the place. It's not about the pieces. It's about the person. See, today we get a glimpse of what Christianity should always be about and will always be about. A person celebrating their relationship with Jesus. Celebrating because knowing Jesus is the greatest gift. Now, what if that's what every church service was about? What if every song we sang, every sermon we preached was about celebrating knowing Jesus, celebrating what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? What if that's what the church made its entire focus? And what if we scraped away everything else? What if we always sang about and preached about and told the world that knowing Jesus and following Jesus makes life better and makes us better at life? What if that was what we had on blast all the time? not just once or twice a year. And we're going to celebrate him. We're going to lift him up. We're going to exalt him. And listen, if you're a believer, there's so much to sing about. And if you're not a believer, all that's being said and sang about Jesus ought to make you at least give him a second look. See, baptism, baptism is a 2,000-year-old tradition, a way that Christians have been going public with their faith since the beginning of the movement. Baptism was a tradition that, that, that was started in Jesus' day. It was, a, it was a way of showing what it means to pass from death to life, what it means to go from not knowing God to knowing God. The Bible tells us in Romans 6 that we are buried, therefore, with him in baptism unto death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk and are raised in the newness of life. So buried in death, raised in life, washing our sins away, raising us to something completely new. So the most basic and pure element since the beginning, the water serves to wash us clean like Jesus' blood, to immerse us completely like His Holy Spirit, initiating our relationship with Jesus. That's what it's all about. Jesus said on many occasions that when someone puts their faith in Him and goes public with it and makes it known, there's a giant, massive, noisy party in heaven. You know that? 
Luke chapter 5, Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents or puts their faith in God. Now, I don't think joy is just a little clap and everybody moves on with their, part, moves on with their day. I think joy before the angels of God means call off everything else we had planned because today is going to be the biggest celebration you've ever seen. Don't you think that that's what a party in heaven looks like? Now, now Jesus goes on to talk about a son who, puts his, who, who comes home to his father after running away and ra- wasting his life and messing things up, but the father welcomes the son back in. And that's a, obviously a picture of what it's like when we get to heaven or what it's like when we put our faith in God. And listen to how Jesus describes that party. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. And I don't think they just said, oh, good, you know, glad we're, we're so happy and they moved on. I mean, this was a day, days-long celebration, maybe even a week-long celebration. I mean, he goes on later and says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead. He's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. So we celebrate baptism today because of what it means, not just for Lyndon, but for anybody that put their faith in Jesus. We are found. We are home. We are saved forever. Saved from sin. Saved from death. But even better than that, salvation means we have hope and we have purpose. Maybe you're looking for hope or purpose today. You can find it. You can have it. You can depend on it. I want to say if Christianity doesn't immediately bring to your heart and your mind that there is hope and there is purpose, I want to fix that, and God wants to fix that. For many of us, Christianity needs to be rebooted. It needs an update that resets it to what it was all about from the beginning, what it's always been about, what it will always be about, finding hope, finding purpose, finding life in Jesus. I'm not picking on any certain tradition or denomination or style that somehow loses sight of these things. We've all got it wrong, and if we can't admit that, it means that we love our traditions more than we love our Savior. We need to get back to this, though. This is all that counts. This is what makes a difference. This is what makes heaven pay attention to us. Heaven does not rejoice at our opinions or our wisdoms or our fancy sermons or services. Heaven rejoices when somebody comes to faith and their life starts to change. Today, I hope that we can scrape away anything that might have gotten in the way of what Christianity means. God wants you to know that every day He is trying to instill hope and purpose in your heart. God is trying to give everybody, every one of us, every day, He is sending to us all an invitation to hope and purpose. Now, let me clarify this a little bit, because these are not just religious platitudes. We talk about hope and purpose all the time, and it's just like it's just ceremony. Hope is not just some empty motivation. I'm talking about resurrecting hope. Resurrecting hope as in hope that's full of divine strength that helps you overcome anything, helps you rise above anything, your mistakes or somebody else's offense against you, whatever it is, hope that pulls you out. An eternal purpose as in purpose that's full of divine perspective that causes you to see the bigger picture and drives you toward greater things. I think a lot of Christians, believers, even people who are obedient, don't know the true power of resurrecting hope, the true promise of eternal purpose. I think many of us, our faith has never really had this kind of life to it. And if your version of Christianity doesn't have life, then it won't give you life. But I can say with excitement today that Christianity is overflowing with life because Jesus, our Savior, the founder, Jesus is alive. 
Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is God Almighty. He is I am that I am. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Defender, the Deliverer, the Savior. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the breath of life. He is the Lamb who was slain. He is the cornerstone. He is the light of the world. He is the Word of God. He is alive. He is worthy. He is good. He is truth. He is grace. He is life. That's how alive our faith is. Because our Savior is alive. Christianity isn't some book-bound religion that puts you to sleep. It's a living, filled, spirit-filled relationship that brings you to life. Overflowing with hope and with purpose. You know, we all know that old song, Have a Little Talk with Jesus. Hope and purpose are just a talk with Jesus away. Now, I know maybe you're in a situation where you wonder if you could ever find hope or ever have purpose after all that you've been through and all that you're going through right now. Maybe you just think, you know, hope and purpose, that's just, that's just not for me. It's just not going to be possible for me. You don't know what I'm going through, and I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're in a situation where you wonder if you'll ever find or have purpose with all you've got stacked against you because your situation just isn't the best. I don't know your past, I don't know your circumstances, and I don't know your future. But I do know that you can have a future that involves hope and purpose because you can have a future with Jesus. And I don't know what the future is going to bring to you, but I know that you can have a future that involves Jesus, and that means that you will have a future full of hope and full of purpose. Now, maybe you're in a place that doesn't really make a lot of sense, and maybe you're in a situation that doesn't seem to, to be fair, or you just don't understand why or how you got there. Maybe you question what on earth could have, you could have done to deserve to be in the mess you're in. And maybe you're not really in a mess, but you just feel like a mess. We've all been there. A lot of us are there. You don't know why you do, but you do. And church hasn't helped you, and that's okay to admit it. People like me haven't helped you. Religion hasn't helped you. All the other things you've tried haven't helped you. And you don't think Jesus can help you because you've accepted a version of Jesus that falsely represents him. And today you can know the real Jesus, the living Jesus, the reigning Jesus, the Jesus who can give you hope and give you purpose. I know maybe you're thinking, Justin, is that your name? Justin, you don't know who I am and you don't know what I'm facing and perhaps I don't. But perhaps you've searched the scriptures over and over again. You've begged for God to show you and speak to you, to reason with you as to why he has brought you to this place. And if you're not a believer, God isn't waving hope and purpose in front of you to condemn you or belittle you. He is reaching for you just like He's reaching to millions of believers who still struggle to find hope and find purpose. Let me be very honest with you, and anybody around you will admit this if they're being honest. The majority of Christians wonder where their hope is. The majority of Christians question what their purpose is. Christian people still can't get this. So don't feel like that you're condemned or belittled because you somehow haven't found your way Jesus is reaching to all of us, many who believe in him, even obey him, don't live under the promise of purpose and the power of hope. Maybe you've asked yourself, who could ever find hope in this? What could ever be the purpose of this? Here's what I know and why I think this conversation is so essential for us to have. Above all, God is good. Can we agree on that? God is good. He's a loving God. He's a God who doesn't make mistakes. He's a God who doesn't give up even when we do. Here's what I know, you're not a mistake. 
Your life is not hopeless. Your life is actually on purpose. Right? Your life is on purpose for a purpose. He wants every day to count for you. And if we're in a place that's kind of cutting off our connection with Him in any way, God wants to address that. His Word, I know it's big and intimidating. But let me summarize it for you today. God's Word promises us that He is a good, everlasting Father who understands our struggles and offers us wisdom. So whatever you're facing, whether you just started into it or maybe you've been living in it for a long time, God has hope to offer you. If God is even an ounce of who He claims to be, who His Word says He is, who I believe Him to be, there has to be some kind of hope in Him. I've asked you to open to John 14 today because this text, more than any other text, captures the heart of Christianity. And I think it's fitting on a celebration like this to look at this text and remind all of ourselves what it means to be a believer. If you've never read any other chapter of the Bible, I think, and I'm a preacher, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you permission, you should read it all. But if you never read another chapter or page of the Bible, this chapter, this page alone would be enough to find hope and find purpose in. John, 1, John 14, 1 through 6 might be the most important word you ever read. And Christians, if you ever read these and, don't, and something inside of you doesn't just wake up and warm up, we need to pray for God to revive us. Listen to this first verse. Let not your heart be troubled, because their hearts were troubled. And a lot of our hearts are troubled on any given day, aren't they? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Here is Jesus talking to a group of people who had believed in God, this cosmic God in the sky who maybe was real, maybe was just a myth. God who was impersonal. God was just, who was just this generic, religious, unavailable, una, unapproachable God. He says, listen y'all, I know y'all have always believed in a God who's somewhere out there and you pray and hope that He listens and you wonder and sometimes if He's actually real. I want to tell you with confidence today, if you believe in God, you can believe in me because I am God in flesh. If you believe in God, I'm going to ask you to put your faith in me. He wants us to understand that he and God are one in the same. A lot of people who followed Jesus were worried that maybe Jesus was just a messenger. A lot of people wondered maybe he's just a representation. Jesus confirms that he is the messenger. He is the picture of God. So what's true about Jesus is true about God because Jesus is God. He is God made visible, God made real. Now, throughout the book of John, Jesus has made some amazing promises about himself. The book begins, and the Bible tells us that Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. And that means, listen, I know it's hard to read the whole thing, and it's hard to understand the whole thing, but here's what Jesus wanted us to understand. To summarize all of God's Word in one simple expression, Jesus is God's living expression of His love for you. If you want to know what's God's Word all about, who is God, what's he all, what is He all about, Jesus is a living picture, a living embodiment of God's feelings towards you. He is God's living expression of love. He, it, John tells us that Jesus is the Lamb of God, God's ultimate and complete sacrifice for our sins. So how much does He love you? He loves you even though you make mistakes, even though you sin. God's going to take care of that through Jesus. We learn earlier in John that Jesus is the bread of life. He is God's truth that satisfies our soul's hunger and our soul's thirst for knowledge, for wisdom, for some sort of understanding of what's going on. He is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd that lays his life down in the gap for the sheep, giving us protection and guidance. 
He tells us He is the resurrection. That means there is hope against our past because God can bring us back to life and there is purpose for our future because God's going to take us to life. All of that is true about Jesus. All of that is true about God. We have hope because Jesus is proof that God loves us. He is evidence that God wants to, God has washed away our sins, who gives us truth to replenish us. He guards our life. He guides our life. He resurrects you from every defeat and every failure. In verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. And mansions just means big rooms. Because the Father's house is the big house, right? right? We're not going to live in separate houses in heaven. We're going to live in one big house. It's the Father's house. And the rooms that God has for us in the Father's house are like mansions compared to our little dwelling places on earth. Not just in the size, but in the spectacle, in the wonder, in the home that God has for us, in the identity, in the, in the acceptance that God's going to give us. In the Father's house, there's a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. You know what this tells us? Jesus is not leading you on. He's not pulling one over on you. He's telling you right here that you matter to God, you're significant to God, and His eternal plans involve you because there's a place for you in eternity. And I don't think, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, I don't think that heaven really depends on you or I being there. I don't think God in all His infinite power and wisdom and glory really needs us. But it says here that heaven won't be finished until we get there. That tells me that God made a choice when He didn't have to. God made a place when He didn't have to because He wanted to. He's prepared a place for you in eternity so that all of your earthly life is building towards and setting up for something eternal. This tells me that nothing is insignificant, nothing is incidental, nothing is insignificant, nothing is irredeemable. Everything has and can have some sort of eternal value, amazing hope, even the things you don't understand. Jesus can redeem everything with hope and with purpose. Now listen, not everything's God's will. Not everything that happens on this planet is God's will, but He can take everything and redeem it for His purposes. In heaven, your room in the Father's house will be a way of memorializing the path that took you there. Verse 3 says, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus says, listen, I'm going to go and work on this place for y'all, but I'm coming back because it's not finished without you. I will come again. Here's what he's saying. He's acknowledging there will be days that you wonder what's the point. There will be days when you wonder where's my break. There will be days where you don't see anything good coming and you wonder what's the meaning of it all. Jesus says to us here, and he'll reiterate it later, your life is not in vain. One day you'll get to look back from the perspective of heaven and see the full 30,000 view foot of thing. 30,000 foot view of things. But until then, we live each day knowing that Jesus sees, He knows, He acknowledges what we're going through. Whether you feel purpose or not, this is confirmation that there is purpose. On those days that feel difficult, that you just can't find motivation or ambition, read this verse. Jesus says that all that we're doing now is building towards what's next. Every day we serve and honor Him with our lives. 
The Bible tells us in Colossians that whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for man. Knowing that, depending on it, banking on it, betting on it, that what you're doing is being recognized and observed by God and you will be rewarded for it. Jesus says to us in verse 4, Where I go, you know, and the way you know. He's trying to say, y'all, if you understand me, if you follow me, you'll understand every day matters because it's building toward this eternal home, this eternal destiny. Whether you doubt or wonder, you can bet on it. Now, of course, fittingly, Mr. Doubter himself asked the question that maybe you're asking today. Verse 5, Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus' response to that is so incredible. I can't imagine John thought it would ever, be, would ever become as ubiquitous and as famous as it has become. But nonetheless, it has. This next verse defines our hope and it offers us purpose. Verse number 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means to trust that Jesus is the way through each circumstance, through every situation, high or low. To trust that Jesus is the source of truth for every scenario of life. To trust that Jesus is your life. He is your hope. He is your purpose. There's no pit that He can't raise you from. There's no rut that He can't inspire you through. He gives redemption and He gives meaning to us and to everything. Down in verse 18, Jesus caps this off by promising once more, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Notice in verse 20, he says, and at that day, or on that day, or any day, on that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He, he says, in those days where things are going good or things are going bad, on any day, in any day where you are following Jesus, trusting in Jesus, you realize you have a relationship that cannot be broken or severed. All of these promises can be made real to us and make a difference for us if we place our faith in Jesus. That's what he's saying. Verse 21, he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest or make it known or make it clear to him. Now, I know we often get intimidated by that statement, He who has my commandments and keeps them, but do you, do you know that really Jesus only ever gave us one commandment? It's in verse number 1 where he says, If you believe in the Father, if you believe in God, believe in me. Jesus has really only ever gave us one commandment, and that one commandment is trust me. Trust me. Because if you trust me, then you'll understand that what I've said is the best and what I ask you to do is the right thing. If you trust me, all this other stuff will make sense. Trust Him as the way, the truth, and the life. Refuse to turn toward anybody or anything else. Believe that there is no other path to follow, no other authority to surrender to, no other source of life. To some, that seems impossible, maybe even crazy, but this has always been the way for people to rise above the mundane, the sorrow, and the brokenness of this life and find hope and find purpose. Let me tell you, some, tell you a story in closing. Years before this, years before all this took place with Jesus, there was a world that wondered if there was a God, more importantly, if there was a God who could be trusted. 
And if you know history, not even Bible history, but just history says there was a nation called Israel that believed it was founded in hope and on purpose by the one true God who would send a Savior to them for everyone. That Israel believed, history books tell you this, Israel believed that God God was going to send a Savior to them for everyone. The nation waited and longed for Messiah to come. For years, things looked to be building towards that, but then suddenly it all fell apart. And the kingdom was conquered by an evil empire called Babylon. All the Jews were killed or some became slaves except for a few boys in the royal family. They were taken and made, made a part of the king's court, assimilated into the new kingdom. One of those boys was named Daniel. You've probably heard of him before. We know him as Daniel, but as soon as he was brought to Babylon, he was given a new name. He was taught a new language, and essentially he had a memory wipe through torture and brainwashing. He was told to forget his Jewish background and turn away from his Jewish faith. As much as what was changed about Daniel, his name, his nature, his heart remained focused on hope and on purpose. He had all these promises of a Savior in his heart. Promises of hope and purpose, but he had no proof. Most in Daniel's group walked away unfollowed and forgot these legends and these empty dreams, but not Daniel. He still believed that one day Messiah would come. He held on to hope and he held on to purpose. He believed that God was in fact preparing a place for him, that his current state, as unideal as it was, was part of God's plan for him. That God would make a way, that God's word was true, and in him alone was life. And the Bible tells us that early on in Daniel's stay in Babylon, that he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself and turn away from his faith. His loyalty was with God, with the promise of a Savior to come. This was hundreds of years before Jesus ever stepped foot on the planet. So before we say it's not possible to find faith and find hope and find purpose, the story of Daniel reminds us that we can't say it's not possible that a man years before it ever actually happened found hope in what was going to come. And all these years later, we know who has come. We can't say there's no way. In fact, it was Daniel's faith and resolve that single-handedly held the hope and the promise of Israel together through this time of captivity that would bring the nation back together and reestablish, that would lead a new generation of believers who waited for the Messiah. And a few hundred years later, he arrived, and Daniel's way was their way, and it's our way because our way is Jesus, and Jesus is the way to find hope and find purpose to find a true and fulfilled life. Jesus is the way to inspiration from God, to find forgiveness from God, to find obedience to God. It's, he is the way to a relationship with God. But this only happens when we put our faith in Jesus, when we trust in Him, when we commit to Him. So i got to ask everybody today, whether you have been in church all your life or whether this is the first time you've shown up, whether, whatever your story is, where does, where, where does your loyalty lie in life? Where does your faith rest? Everybody's loyal to something. Is your something as loyal to you as you are to it? You hear that? Is your something as loyal to you as you are to it? Or does it even care about you? Can it even care about you? Listen, we are so loyal to our jobs, our politics, our hobbies, even some people. We give everything to them. 
If the machine does not acknowledge you or talk back to you or care for you, why are we so doggedly loyal to it? I'm not saying that there aren't sacrifices that come along with loyalty. I'm just saying consider what you're serving. Consider who you're serving. And measure it up against this invitation that Jesus has given us. Where he says to you, if you believe in God, if you hope that there is a God out there, look at me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I will not leave you as orphans. Come on, seeing how he has already committed himself to us, we don't have to wonder if this is a sure thing. I mean, Jesus proved his loyalty to us and that while we were still disloyal and unfaithful, he died for us. And then he sealed the promise with a miraculous resurrection. His death proves he hasn't given up on us. His resurrection proves he's got great plans for us. There's hope you can count on. There's purpose you can get excited about. I don't know what road you're on today, but where is it taking you? How is it treating you? Jesus has given us a pretty incredible invitation. Can you really live wondering, leaving what he has to offer on the table? Can you walk away from him wondering what all you might be missing, what all you could miss? Those are questions you've got to wrestle with. Here's what I know, though. Jesus claims that he alone is the way to true life. Now, on this side of things, I can promise you he's not wrong. But my experience is my experience. It's personal. This invitation is on your shoulders. Can you walk away from that kind of invitation? From resurrecting hope and eternal purpose? Even if there's just a chance? I don't think so. This is what Christianity is all about. Not religion, not rituals, not traditions, not rules, not versions, not styles. It's an invitation. It's the invitation from God himself to be in a personal, dynamic, life-changing, life-fulfilling relationship with a Savior, the Savior of the universe. If you walk away from religion or rules or versions, that's fine. But don't walk away from Jesus. He is the way. He is truth. He is life. God's most crowning achievement, God's most proud decision he's ever made was when he sent Jesus to find you. The greatest decision you'll ever make is taking your life out of your hands and putting it into God's. Trusting that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What we like to do at the end of our services is have a moment of invitation. If you're a Christian and you have walked away from Jesus, because we do, don't we? If you have turned toward somebody else as the source of life and wisdom and truth, and if you're a Christian and you've wandered away, why? Well, how could you walk away from the invitation that Jesus has given you? If you're not a Christian, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never had this moment in time where you said, I want to follow Jesus, I want to put all my chips on his table, I want to slide my entire life in his direction. We give invitations to, for you to make that public, to make it to where everybody will know and everybody can hear and everybody can see that you have decided to walk away from whatever less and walk toward Jesus who has given you and given us all his absolute best. Our worship team is going to come up and sing a song called Fade Away. As they sing this song, if you feel God moving in your heart, if you feel God stirring in your heart, I want you to come and I'll pray with you. The altar is, the altar is open to anybody and everybody that wants to come and have a word of prayer with God. 
But if you need counseling, if you need help today, we're here to help you. God is here to find us. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for this invitation that you've given us today. Thank you for the truth that you've proclaimed to us today. Lord, we gather together today to celebrate the fact that you, uh, you, 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 you changed somebody's life, that you saved someone's life. We gather to celebrate the fact that Lynn's journey has just begun, that you started a work in him, Lord, and you're going to do incredible, amazing things for him in his life. You've given him hope and you've given him purpose, Lord, and we're so thrilled and excited to see you do the work in life like that. But Lord, we also know that that celebration that he gets to experience today and forever is a celebration that anybody and everybody's invited to. So Father, we want to pray that if anybody in the house today has never made that personal relationship with Jesus, has never put their faith in him, that they might would come and make that personal today. Lord, let everything else fade away. Let our eyes fix on you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.